And now for the show that takes dog training beyond your backyard. It's Bark Talk with Bonnie. Brought to you by Advanced Canine Techniques, your dog training specialists. and welcome to this edition of Bark Talk with Bonnie. I'm so excited to be back and starting our first podcast for 2020. Today I want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, learning theories with dogs. I mentioned this, this on an earlier podcast and one thing I want people to keep in mind is dogs do um, what they get rewarded for. So when they make good choices, we reward them, we praise them, we pet them, we give them treats or toys. They're going to continue to do those behaviors for us. Same as if they do things we don't like, such as digging in the litter box, digging in the trash, digging holes in the yard. We're going to find a way to correct them that's meaningful. And I always say you want to try to find a correction that isn't too harsh for your dog, but is also not going to nag them. So you're continuing to um, yell at them over and over and over again. If you're doing that, your correction is probably not quite strong enough. So you might just need to up the level a little bit or, or change it around a little bit or try something different to make it meaningful for your dog. Um, and I think that that's important for people. I think a lot of times people struggle with correcting their dog or trying to figure out how to do it in a way that's meaningful for the dog, but also successful. Our whole hope as we teach you to work with your dogs is to help set them up for success. So the more that you are able to praise them for good choices and you're able to praise them for um, paying attention to you and rewarding that calm state of mind, you're going to enjoy your dog a whole lot more. Now, one thing I often see owners struggle with is utilizing different training aids correctly. And when you put a training aid on a dog, and it doesn't matter what the training aid is, I've, I've seen this... Um, this, be, this, this behavior will happen with every single training aid you use, to be honest. So maybe you're using a head halter or a slip lead, prong collar, e-collar. Um, it could even honestly be putting a leash and collar on a puppy for the first time. Um, I often see this and then um, many owners give up too quickly. Dogs are going to go through a process every time we utilize a, a new training aid with them. They go through fight or flight avoid and accept. And I think it's important for you to understand that your dogs are going through those reactions and it's your job as an owner to help them through that. Um, oftentimes I see owners try a training it on a dog, a gentle leader, for example. It is, an, it is an excellent training tool, whether it's a gentle leader or a halty or a transitional leash. All of those basically have the same concept where they're like a head halter, the same that you would put on a horse or livestock animal. Um, and I will actually admit that um, probably in the last couple years, I've come to utilize head halters more. Um, as Heather Beck would say, I probably in the past was a head halter hater. Like I was kind of like, oh, I don't like that. Dogs don't acclimate to it well. It doesn't work very well. But now that I've learned to use the tool a little bit better, for some dogs, I find that that is a really good way to help control their head and for you to be able con to control their behavior a little bit more too. But that's a good example of we put a training aid on a dog um, and they're going to go through those four stages. First, they're going to fight. So they're going to alligator roll. They're going to dig their um, nose into the ground. They're going to pod their nose. Um, 
they're going to do a variety of different behaviors just to let us know that they don't like the tool. That's totally normal. And that will happen, like I said, with any tool you use. It could happen with an e-collar. You put it on, the dog is scratching their neck constantly. You know, you might put a slip lead on them and they're, you know, biting at the leash. You might put um, any type of a, a, um, a training aid on a dog and they're going to do the exact same thing. So first they first they go into kind of fight mode. Then sometimes they flight where they try to either move away or try to see if they can either get it off or do whatever they can do to try to fight or flight with that training aid on. Then they go into avoidance. So they're just like, okay, I want to crawl behind you. I want to, I want to, you know, pancake to the floor. I want to dig into the ground. Um, they'll try to avoid the pressure. And we use the term pressure because that's basically we're applying a little bit of leash pressure when we're helping them to walk. We might be applying a little upward leash pressure and um, tapping on their butt if we're asking them to sit. Um, we might be using spatial pressure when we move towards them if they are into, if they're laying in a down and we want them to get into a sit, so we might move into their space a little bit. But I think it's important to understand that pressure is not a bad thing. And then once, once the fight or flight is passed, once the avoidance has passed, then the acceptance kicks in where they realize that, oh, the sky is not falling. Okay, this isn't so bad. I'm just walking next to this handler, trainer, owner, and they're giving me good feedback. They're giving me release in the pressure when I walk next to them. They're um, rewarding me for good choices. You know, and then if they do start to pull a little bit or lunge, we're going to add a little bit of that upward pressure again to try to help redirect their mindset and calm them down again too. So once, once that acceptance has kicked into play, they become comfortable with the tool. And that session then will end and it will go, you know, that will hopefully create a little bit of positive muscle memory for the dog. Later in the day, we're going to put the training aid back on and we're going to do the whole thing over again. We're still probably going to get the, the same sequence, fight or flight, avoid and accept. But it should go much shorter. And the more we utilize that tool, the better the dog will get with it. I often see um, owners give up too quickly. And they're so worried that their dog doesn't like it. You know, their dog is and stressed. Their dog is, is um, suffering, so to speak. That might be a little bit dramatic. <laughs> but one thing um, to keep in mind is you have to be persistent and you have to be consistent. I think both of those terms are really important. And I think you need to realize that dogs, just like people, need stress in order to learn and grow. Um, and it's just like people when we do something new for the first time, our first day on the job. You know, many people, they have to stand up and give a speech in front of somebody. Um, or you're competing in a sport or an activity. You have to take the court or take the field. Um, I mean, how many people, your heart's pounding, your palms are sweaty, your adrenaline is rushing. You know, you're nervous, you're, you have that stress. But then once you get out on the field and you start performing, you, you become much more calm, you become much more accepting, you're enjoying the activity. You can apply that same terminology to your dogs as well. So the more that, yes, they are going to initially maybe not quite have some of those same symptoms, heart pounding, <laughs> um, sweaty palms, you know, but they probably are going to have a little bit of adrenaline rushing as we're practicing with a new training tool. But the more we remain calm and help them through that process, I think that that's really important. And I think that 
we need to spend more time helping our dogs acclimate to to those different training aids. Now, that's not to say that, you know, a head halter is the perfect tool for every dog. There may be some dogs where that's maybe just not the right tool for them. Maybe, you know, even if we get through the fight or flight, avoid and accept, you know, maybe I find that, you know, they just don't seem to um, buy into that tool quite as much. Or maybe I want to try a different tool that I think would, would have a better um, better success rate on that too. So those are things I want you to keep in mind is no matter what training age you're using, and it's nice if you are doing private lessons or group classes, um, or even me if I do a dog with a board and train too, I'm going to try those different training aids on a dog. Um, usually I let the owners know everything that I have in my box and just kind of say, we're going to see what they acclimate the best to, what feels the best on them, um, and then and then go from there. But the biggest thing is experimenting too to find out. And that's why I do love my group classes because I can have owners try different things in the class. Let's try a star mark collar. Let's try a slip lead. Let's try a um, halty or a transitional leash and just see how it works. Um, and I think the biggest frustration a lot of times is, oh, he doesn't like it. We need to take it off. And you need to get past that mindset. Um, just because, you know, even though they don't like it, it might be something that they need and would be useful. And once we teach them how to use it and teach them how to accept those tools, you're going to have a more enjoyable experience with your dogs. I know many people struggle walking their dogs. It's, it's a, um, jumping up and loose leash walking are probably one of the two biggest, um, complaints that I hear when owners are working with their dogs, just because, um, they don't enjoy it. You know, they, they jump up and they either hurt somebody or they um, are pulling owners down the street and they get frustrated and then the walk ends quickly and, and nobody's happy. So finding an appropriate training aid, um, and sometimes it's making sure that the training aid is fitted correctly. Um, I think that's a big part of it. I often see people coming in with prong colors on that are probably two sizes too big. Um, and I know a lot of people get them and they put them over the dog's head, but ideally you really should have one that you can snap around the dog's neck um, or adjust on the dog's neck so it rides high up on their neck. If it's not fitted correctly, the same with any any other tool too, transitional leash, gentle leader, halty, um, e-collar, the same thing. If the dog isn't feeling the pressure, it's not going to be an effective tool. And I think sometimes we keep items on too loose um, for fear that we're hurting the dog. Um, now, I don't, that's not to say I want you to put it on too tight and make sure that, you know, they need to be able to breathe. <laughs> but I also want to make sure that it's not, you know, if they're not feeling any type of stimulation or any type of pressure, that training aid's not going to be as successful for them. So that's something else that I want people to keep in mind. Um, as a trainer, it's my job to help you have a positive relationship with your dog. So, you know, sometimes the ugly truth might come out. Sometimes I will tell you what you need to, what you need to, um, what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. You know, yeah, my dog's a good dog. Um, until company comes over. Yeah, my dog has good obedience until there's a distraction. Yeah, my dog is a good dog, but he but he still does this and this. And those butts are kind of the killers because they're not truly enjoying their dog because, you know, they're, they're kind of like, well, it's good enough. Well, it's good enough. Um, and there are a couple trainers that kind of say, well, is, is good enough really what you want? Why not strive for more? 
So maybe there's, maybe there's things that I'm going to recommend that you do, um, that you may not want to hear. Um, and it may take a bit for you to, to implement those changes too. I think I've mentioned earlier, and it's something that I definitely want to reiterate is that if you continue to do the same thing and expect different results, that's kind of the definition of insanity. Because ideally, I mean, nothing is going to change. I mean, you're just going about your day, maybe making a, a small change here or there. But sometimes it involves some big changes depending on the behaviors that your dogs are completing in, or competing in, I should say. So that's something to keep in mind is that, you know, as a trainer, I'm going to evaluate your dog. And it might be in a group class. It might be in a private lesson. Um, that's the benefit of board and trains too, is that sometimes I can remove the dog from the situation and I can totally do a reset with the dog. I can kind of create a schedule. I can do obedience with it. And then when I give it back, I'm going to give you some very specific um, instructions for what I want you to do when you take that dog home. Like it's going to have a very specific schedule that I'm going to want you to follow. Um, that coincides with your work schedule. We'll make sure that that all matches together. But a lot of times, you know, if I work with your dog and I make really good progress and then I send the dog back home to you and you just go back to your old um, lifestyle, nothing changes. Like maybe you're not exercising the dog. Maybe the dog's got freedom in the house. Maybe you're sleeping with the dog again or constantly petting the dog again. The dog is going to revert It isn't or regress. It is not going to move forward. Um, so that's something to keep in mind that no matter what um, you do with training, and group classes are beneficial for that because it holds you accountable. You have to keep practicing week by week by week. And I find sometimes in classes, if I add a little bit of competition, it makes owners practice a little bit more. Um, and it, you know, you're not going to see results right away. You know, training is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're going to run a hundred yard dash and then, oh, my dog is fixed and it's, he's perfect. You know, it's a marathon. And if you think about walking or running a marathon, I've walked two half marathons. Um, I'm not a runner, never going to run unless some, you know, monster is chasing me. <laughs> um, but if you think about walking even in a half marathon too, and there's a bunch of books and studies out there about this as well. You know, the first half of it tends to go pretty successfully. And then you get to a certain mile when you're walking or running and you kind of hit that, what they like to term a wall where you're just like, oh my God, like I'm literally like just, you know, fatigued and tired and I just can't go any further. And then you kind of have to push yourself past that. And then you kind of get into that um, euphoria stage. Okay. Oh my goodness. We're almost done. Oh, we can make this happen. Um, and then you get that little burst of energy to, to finish at the end. You know, the same thing will happen with dog training too. You know, it's not, it's not always going to be easy. Um, but the goal is to be a little bit better today than you were yesterday and to reward those baby steps. I think it's really important to acknowledge and compliment, reward, praise your dog for making those small little choices, small little goals, you know, especially if you have a fearful or a shy dog, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to try and reward any brave, um, step they make in the right direction, you know, a tote fell over outside in the wind um, and they startled and then they went to go take a step towards it. That's a huge progress for that dog. I'm totally going to reward that. And I think a lot of times we don't reward dogs often enough for them to want to continue to improve. You know, I think we just see those, you know, we, we might not even notice that step towards the tote that fell. 
Whereas if you're really paying attention to your dog and really observing their body language, I think you'll be able to mark and reward more often. And I think once that starts happening, it also changes your mindset because you're much more excited when you can mark and reward and praise your dog. You know, if you spend the whole time, get off, knock it off, no, you know, that's just exhausting. And I share that with people in class because I think a lot of times um, they do get frustrated because they're just constantly yelling. So finding training aids that um, help serve that purpose and also minimize some of your um, frustrated energy can also help too. Um, And then the other thing that I will point out is um, having fun with your dog. Yes, training is important. Yes, obedience is important. But I think you also need to find a balance between, you know, yes, I think loose leash walking is, is good, but there's nothing to say that you can't go out to the woods with your dog on a 20 or 30 foot lead and just let them sniff around in a wooded area or at a park and just sniff by trees, smell the wildlife, smell the grass, smell where other dogs have been. And just enjoy that time with them out um, at a park or in the yard or in a field. And then take the time to play and really find something that your dog might enjoy. And again, this is experimenting. Maybe they don't like balls. Maybe they like plush toys, but they can only have them under supervision. Well, that's a perfect activity for you and your dog to enjoy. And then the toy goes up when you're done. You know, you can play tug. You can... um, you know, have them, you know, walk on different surfaces, climb up different textures. But the more that you engage in and in, in, in reward your dogs and, and have fun with them, I think that your relationship changes a little bit too. Um, I think if you are at that point where you kind of look at your dog and, and you just groan, <laughs> that probably is a time when a board and train is going to be needed. Um, you kind of need an intervention. Like you need somebody to come in that can just, you know, keep your dog for a little bit, you know, help them to, um, be better, make better choices and give, and give yourself a break and then come back and enjoy that dog after it's been trained. Um, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. you know, in terms of using training aids, um, there's no tool that you can't use. I mean, sometimes, um, I think people get the impression that they have a bad dog if they put an e-collar on their dog, or they have a bad dog if they have to use a prong collar. That's not the case at all. Training aids to me are just like um, are just like tools, you know. And in, in, in tools like anything else, you have to figure out what works for your dog. It's just like you're learning. Some people are very, you know. My husband is he he loves to read manuals. Um, like he gets he gets a new camera, he gets a new electronic device. He's going to read the manual. Like he enjoys reading just manuals. He just he just enjoys reading them for fun. Okay, I am not like that at all. Like that would bore me to tears. That is not my learning style at all. I need to get my hands on it. I need to work with it. I might need to have somebody show me how to use it. But I'm one of those visual learners. I actually have to get my hands on it and use it. Um, some people can listen. Some people can um, observe. But you have to figure out what what learning style works for you, and then how you can utilize that to help your dog. Um, And I think that that's really important because I think dogs, just like people, sometimes have different learning styles. There are some dogs that, 
Owners get frustrated in a group class because their dog's distracted. Well, they are, and that's the purpose of a group class. The goal is to learn the techniques, to go home and practice, and then to come back the next week and see if they're a little bit better with those distractions. And then you continue that every week. And by the end, if you've done your homework and been practicing and added those small distractions at home, you're going to set your dog up for success in a group class too. So the goal is really to just keep in mind that training is a marathon and that even though your dog doesn't like it, um, okay, the ugly truth is going to come out. I don't care if your dog doesn't like it. It might be something that your dog needs, um, in order for them to be safe. Um, we can't have them walking down the road um, on a collar and a leash if they're like <laughs> the whole time. One, your walk is going to be really short and two, it is going to eventually hurt your dog's trachea. So we need to find a training aid that is successful to help you and your dog enjoy that walk more. Now some training aids, the more you practice, will fade those training aids out over time. I mean that, that's the goal. Um, and in areas, in the house, in the yard, in places where they visit frequently, you probably won't need those training aids anymore after you put in that work and develop that relationship with them. But just like a crate, any training aids that you use, put them in a drawer, but have them accessible in case you need to use them again. There's nothing wrong with um, pulling it out if you're going to a festival or you're going to a new place. Maybe you're going to visit relatives um, for a holiday and you're taking your dog with you for the first time. I would pull that training aid out and put it on the dog again, just so that way you've got that little bit of extra control and then your, your dog knows what to do when he gets in that new environment. It's just more of a safety protocol than anything else. Um, the same with a crate. I know a lot of people are so quick to, you know, when, when can my dog get out of the crate and be free in the house? You know, it, it depends on the dog. I mean, my, my German Shepherd is 11, um, and I have crates in my garage. I don't have crates in my house right now, but it's really funny because I go in the garage, and if I don't have dogs in there, I usually have a crate door that's always open. And they might play, they'll lay next to me while I'm working out or working in there. And oftentimes I look over, oh, there's Ginger laying in the crate. <laughs> she loves her crate. Um, when we were in our old house, we had a crate next to our bed, with the door open. And this was when she was probably even like eight or nine. And at night, she would just go lay in the crate. That's where she would go. That was her safe place. Like we taught her how to make that be a positive association with her. So never close the door, but she could just go lay in there with the door open. And that was a comforting spot to her. So even if you put the crate up, put it in your garage, put it in your storage shed, put it in storage someplace, but keep it. Because I don't know how many people as dogs get older, maybe need to have some type of surgery, maybe need to go on crate rest, something needs to happen. And then I see a lot of messages, hey, does anybody have a crate I can borrow? I got rid of mine. You know, or your dog is eight months old, done well in the house. You decide to put the crate away because they're able to be free. And then about a year and a half, your dog starts chewing up your house again. You know, so it can be pull the crate back out and kind of demote them and you know, do a little bit of putting him in the crate when you leave again and giving him a little bit more close supervision and then slowly working your way out of that. But keep all of your training aids because you never know when you might need them for a new um, new environment as well. And that's really what I wanted to just highlight today is to just talk about um, fight or flight, avoid and accept and know your dogs are going to go through those um, behaviors, but it's our job to help them. Um, 
and to help them be successful with that training aid and, and to find the right training aid too. And that's where experimenting comes into play. But don't be afraid to take the tool off um, just because they, they don't like it. Um, you know, I don't like to exercise every day, but I still have to do it. <laughs> or eat, or I do like vegetables, so that's not a good analogy. But I know a lot of kids don't like vegetables, but they still need to eat them because they're healthy and they're good for them. So, you know, even they're even though they don't like it, you know, they may not like the vet, but they still have to go get vaccinations every year too. So, um, or get you know wellness checkups. So keep in mind that even though they don't like it, doesn't necessarily mean that they don't need it. Um, I think that's what I wanted to highlight for everybody today. Hopefully that gave you a little food for thought and something to think about. Um, as always, um, feel free to take a look at our Facebook page and our website. We do have classes coming up in um, mid-February for those of you that weren't able to start our January classes. My hope is that people really make some um, progress with their dogs and um, and really enjoy them in 2020 and are able to set some goals with, with their dogs and really enjoy them and have fun with them. Um, that's all we have for today. Hopefully you have a great week and we'll chat with you soon. You've been listening to Bark Talk. For more information, go to our website, advancedcaninetechniques.com or find us on Facebook.